Hey listeners, this is Marsha Epstein in Lawrence, Kansas with Talk With Me. And today's gonna be a little different because, hold on to your seats, my guest is not a poet, but is a an artist of a different sort. And it's really cool timing for me because in my world of uh, mental health and art and paying attention to connections, I'd recently come across an article in praise of drama teachers and the amazing positive impact that they have on youth who maybe don't think they fit in other places and find theater and an area where they're appreciated, where they build friendships, where they get experience that builds confidence, the, the importance of people finding their place, you know? And I think to me, that's a lot of what art is about. It connects people, creates belonging, communicates messages, and when people find the right place, then that personal connection is huge. And then that benefit goes out to people who experience that person's art. So, so I'm excited. We won't get to have poetry readings or music plays. It's going to be an all-talk show, and that's going to be fun, too. As usual, I don't actually know my guest. That's, that's the kind of fun thing, too. So... When I ask questions, it's for me to know as well as you to know more about this person and things that this person is involved with. So it's going to be a fun show. Happy to do it. It's a shout out to Lawrence, Kansas, where I live and work and the University of Kansas and the theater department and the university theater there. It's a local show in that sense. But you know what happens. People get trained and experienced in this university community and they go off into the world and other places. So hopefully you will encounter this person someplace in your life at some time, in addition to on this Talk With Me show. So today my guest is David Reese Fisher. Welcome. Hello. <laughs> I'm excited. I'm excited to see you in person because, you know, we've exchanged information by email. Yes. And, uh, you know, all this stuff came and all this stuff about the play and all this stuff. And it's like, it's all very formal. And I'm thinking... I'm not very formal. I don't know how this is going to work. But then I saw you. It's like, okay, we're good. <laughs> He's a real person. I'm okay. a real person. Yes, I am. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Thanks Thank for you. doing this. So tell us a little bit about you in terms of separate from the play that's coming up. Just a little bit about who's David Reese Fisher. Right now, I am a PhD student finishing my second year of coursework. Um, I will be done with coursework at the end of the semester and then I go into studying for my comps and then taking my comps in the fall and then if they give me the green light I will hopefully <laughs> jump right into a dissertation and be done I guess. Uh -huh. I've been in school for a very long time. Uh -huh. um, if you ask my family they said that I've probably been in school my whole life. Uh -huh. yeah. So yeah, and yeah, I'm. That's it. And then I'm also a dramaturg as well. I'm and a dramaturg in this show. Nobody does. <laughs> which is, it's it's the it's one word. Yes. So, for, like, if you ask a doctor what they do, you kind of have an idea of what they do. Or if you ask an accountant, what do you do? It involves numbers. When you ask, when you say that you're a dramaturg, you get a you get the face of the person that you're telling this to kind all the blood kind of drains out of their face. <laughs> and they're like, they have maybe an idea. And then they're sorry that they asked the question <laughs> and which makes me so happy because nobody knows what it is. But uh, if you ask 10 dramaturgs what they do, they're going to tell you 40 different things. But ultimately I'm a huge nerd. Um, but a dramaturg will work with a director on a show. I will analyze the show, uh, find themes that run in the play. Um, anything that's going on in today's context, find that, um, see how that works in the show. Uh -huh. um, and then I'm kind of a facilitator between the director and the actors and then the show and the audience. Interesting. So, so give me an example just to, to get really concrete. So how might that impact the performance in a certain scene or whatever? So for instance, like this show, Perfect Arrangement Now, that's going on that I'm working on, um, it's set in the 1950s. And a lot of the actors are younger than 20. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it's it's trying to give them that uh, that historical context within the show. 
this is um, this is how they moved in the world. This is what they wore. This is how they wore at social gatherings. It was uh, it was kind of like a heightened sense of who that person was. Um, there's that, and then making sure that they're connecting the text with the actual performance. So in some ways, like my brain goes, so there's kind of there's kind of an educational component. There's kind of, of this course. tutoring thing. Mm -hmm. And there's there's probably some kind of maybe even modeling that sometimes you might is it, would you sometimes like show like this is kind of how it might look when this this person sitting and smoking because that's something they would be doing at this point. Yes. Yes. Um, if you look right now, if you look at my home office, there it is covered with everything from like the 1950s. It's articles, film clips, stuff that I've kind of cobbled together for the for the actors. Uh -huh. I, I create a Dropbox and I kind of put all that information into it and then I kind of let it go into their lives. And if they use it, they use it. If they don't, they don't. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's a helpful tool to and a resource to go back to. Mm -hmm. If, say for instance, if they're talking about a product from the 1950s, what that looked like, mm -hmm. how much did it cost, mm -hmm. where would you pick it up? Mm -hmm. It's those kind of questions mm -hmm. that um, that I kind of answer for the actors and the design team and the director. How did you move into that as a specialty? Um, I went to the University of Missouri, Kansas City, and in their theater department, they have a world-renowned dramaturg. Her name is Dr. Felicia Landre, and she's she's famous in the theater community. And she just asked me one day, she's like, do you want a dramaturg for the show? And I said, I've never done that before. She's like, great. And she, I kind of just jumped into the deep end and I just learned so much. It happened to be the Rocky Horror Show, ah. which you ask a director on the first meeting. So here are questions. What would, how would you like to utilize me? Because I can do research. I can do anything or anything that you want me to do to uh, get across to the actors and to the audience. And so I got a long list of stuff that I needed to look up. So if you looked at my search history on my laptop during that time, it would be very intriguing. <laughs> this is so cool to me that you mentioned that particular piece because here in Lawrence, Kansas, um, the last few years in late October, there's a performance at Theater Lawrence, Community <laughs> Theater. And my friend Michael Deeker is an actor and has many talents, but I'll leave it at that, who's been in the show many years, or each of the years here, and he does a lot of other performing too. But but Michael and I were talking um, sometime this winter, like after the show had happened, about the reception of that particular show and how people of different ages make really different meaning of it. Mm -hmm. And that some of the younger people who experienced it really uh, rejected what they saw as negative stereotyping of people based on gender and mm -hmm. sexual orientation. And so that led into a conversation of doing a talk back after the next performances mm -hmm. and including a panel of different ages and perspectives and really talking about what does Rocky Horror mean in 2018, mm -hmm. you know, and how cool that is. And so I'm like, I'm going to make sure you and Michael meet because yeah. it'd be really cool to expand on that. Yeah, and that's one of that's one of the jobs as a dramaturg is to conduct a, a talk back to and just uh, create that communication between the actors, the design team, and the audience. Mm -hmm. um, because we're going to have one, I think, towards um, is the show opens March 30th, and then we come back on April 5th, and it's. We haven't set down a talk back time yet, uh -huh. but I'll, I'll get that to you. Uh -huh. um, but I think that's a way for the audience to engage in the creative process with the actors and the design uh -huh. team. Uh -huh. So that'll be coming up Yeah, too. and here in Lawrence, uh, also the Lawrence Art Center is doing mm -hmm. uh, showing up the film Hedwig and the Angry Inch mm -hmm. with a party and, and a panel discussion. Mm -hmm. And again, with the idea of bringing in panelists who are diverse in age and background to to be able to talk about this in a lot of different ways. But, mm -hmm. You know, what is what does all this mean in 2018 when we have a time when, from my my description, is public hatred is more acceptable. Right. I'm not going to say it that I know there's more hatred, but public hatred is more acceptable. And that's horrifying. 
Yeah, and I think that's one of the most important questions that a dramaturg asks um, in that first rehearsal, uh, not just um, for myself, but to the director and to the design team and the actors. Why are we doing this play right now mm -hmm. in 2018? Mm -hmm. And I think that's, that's an important question for everybody to answer. Mm -hmm. And that kind of gets everybody on the same page. Because if you look at what was happening in the 1950s, and then you're looking at what's happening now with transgender rights, um, healthcare for HIV AIDS patients, and not only that, need to start looking at the upcoming census and how um, our gay and lesbian, transgender, are we individuals, are we, are we going to matter and in the census, and how is that money going to be allocated to right. pro programs that we need? Right, right. That's big. So talking about this in terms of this play that's coming up, and we'll talk about that play in a lot of ways, but what's the process with University Theater in terms of the selection of this play? How did that even happen? There is a, there's um, a search, or not a search committee, but there's a, a team, there's a committee set aside for uh, planning the season that's coming up. So right now we're working for the 2018-2019 season. So it's a group of faculty, undergrads, graduate students that just meet they um, plays are submitted to them and they all read them and then they kind of come to a consensus of what the play is or what the season is going to look like. So were you part of that group for this season? I was last year, yes. And okay. then I got to read Perfect Arrangement and that was one of the questions that I posted or that I said during the meeting was, this play is so important right now. This play needs to happen cool. right now. Okay. So it was great. Um, yeah, so I'm glad that it was it was chosen. Okay, so talk about that. What what was it that you experienced when you read Perfect Arrangement that you said we must do this? I think it was mostly it was personal to me um, as a gay man and as someone who values LGBT history and how important that is, not just for me but for other young uh, gay and lesbian. Um, people coming up now, we uh -huh. need, we have to own that history uh -huh. and we have to honor those people that kind of came before us and did the fight for us. Um, I was thinking a lot about this when I got married last year. There was a moment during the wedding that me and my husband had to just take a moment, just a brief moment and find a quiet place and just kind of thank those people because we stand on very yeah. strong shoulders and we didn't realize how much it was going to affect us and how, oh, our people, we've been working towards this for generations uh -huh. and here we are. And what a privilege that is to stand here in front of our family and friends and to say, I love this man with everything that I have. Yeah. And for that to be something beautiful. Mm -hmm. And so, once that happened, we kind of saw that we're we're making history right at this moment, mm -hmm. and I it was just it's it's a privilege. Mm -hmm. That's so cool. I, I so appreciate your sharing that story, mm -hmm. and it, it makes me reflect on in terms of sort of how times have changed. Mm -hmm. I was the mom of our son was maybe three or four when I had two male friends, two men friends who were, at that point, you couldn't get married. Mm -hmm. They were doing a commitment ceremony um, as close as they could get um, to, a, you know, to a wedding ceremony. And me thinking I have some influence on what my little child knows, mm -hmm. said, two boys don't get married. Mm -hmm. I'm like, that broke my heart. It's like, mm -hmm. how come this little one has already incorporated that message? Yeah. You know, and that was, I was like, oh man, I did, you know, you you know these people. Why is this, you know, it's like, ah, oh. mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. And, and I realized there are lots of parts of wherever across this country that would say the same thing, but not supposed to happen. And yeah. so, so amazing though that, you know, that you guys, we're able to do that. And my friends, Lisa and Lori, they had to go to Iowa at the time. Kansas didn't do it, but yeah, yeah. There, there was that moment when I was getting the marriage license that it was, it was a very powerful moment too. And 
for the the person to hand me my papers and just say yeah. congratulations it was just a big I don't, I don't know what it's like to win the lottery but that it was that kind of a feeling uh-huh. but also I look at I had an older brother who was who was gay as well and my parents had me way late in life they were well into their 40s but the our um, my older brother Frank he um, he was the first born but he didn't he did not come out he graduated from high school and he just left because he just didn't he couldn't come out uh-huh. um, and it wasn't until way way later um, he got diagnosed with HIV in the 80s passed away in 1994 but he came uh-huh. home he came home before that and it was a I could see him coming home and how scared and fearful he was of coming home because he had not had that conversation with our family uh-huh. we all knew but um, it was still hard for him to say that. Mm-hmm. So I think looking at that and when this play came around, I knew I was just like a dog. I was like, this is mine. This play is mine. Mm-hmm. I have to work on this show. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's also a kind of a love letter to him too. Cause he oh. never, he never got that chance. Mm-hmm. Um, so can you sneak that in the program? That would be so- oh my gosh. I wish, I wish, sure. but I thank him every day. Yeah. I thank him every day. But um, another na- a name from Lawrence and KU history related to what was first called the gay liberation front. Mm-hmm. Todd's wall was one of the founders of that. And his brother, Mark's wall is still in Lawrence. Um, and Mark, a lot of people knew him when he was the owner of the Z's coffee shops, which he is no longer, but, but, you know, Todd's wall was here at the University of Kansas and mm-hmm. a lot of things happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was. Yeah. So I, I think about him every time I go yeah. into that rehearsal. And yeah, he um, I my father was the first person that I that, that I came out to. And uh-huh. him and I had a very long talk about my older brother. And oh, gosh, um, back in the early oh, gosh, it was no, it was the late 70s, early 80s. There, there wasn't a lot of um, places for young gay men and young gay women to meet. Right. Um, but there was this park, and that's where he would go, and he would meet his friends. Mm-hmm. And one night, he got he got beat up severely, and he had come home, and um, my sisters and my other brother, they kind of saw, like, there was blood across the, uh-huh. the car. And then they found him and he was beat up pretty bad. And my dad was screaming, where were you at? Where were you at? And he told him he was at this park. So my dad's telling me this story and I'm like, where is this going? And he, my dad starts to cry. And he's like, that was the park where me and my brothers used to beat up gay men. And it would, it just kind of all came full circle for him. And it was heartbreaking to watch him talk about that but you could see this thing just this boulder just came off his chest and it was it was just one of the most profound moments i've ever had with my father yeah. how he kind of um he just kind of in on a dime he just kind of changed and he felt so much um sympathy for him at that moment uh-huh. what a powerful story and so sad and then the reminder that change can happen. Yeah. 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 So this play is very personal to you. Of course. In so many ways. <laughs> and uh, I think that whenever something that we're doing is so personal, it fuels our, our work in terms of it, it. It obviously increases the importance of it, but it also, in your case, I'm sure gives you that that energy for really helping those people who are involved mm-hmm. with the play do what it really needs to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So what's that like? I mean, do you, do you find it hard to, to communicate so people get it? I mean, I, I don't know. You know what no, I thought, I thought it was going to be a history lesson for <clears throat> the actors when I met them that first time, but they all were pretty, educated on the subject matter and i think i just kind of added i just kind of filled in the gaps for them but i will i saw i saw a run through of it last night with the creative team and i just i am 
I've never been more proud oh. of any kind of work that I've been a part of in this show. And it's just everybody, the the set designers, the lighting designer, the costume design, the costumes are going to blow you away. <laughs> the costume designer, her name is Caitlin Schultz. And I'm, you have to see this show, not just for the story, but the costumes just kind of elevate it. And it just, it's going to take you back. But, uh, and then, you know, the director, Jim Dick, was, uh, it's just this, everybody is bringing their A game to this production. And I was, I left and I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm proud that I'm a part of this. Yeah. So we're recording on March 14th and this show opens. The show opens March 30th at 7.30. And then we continue with shows the following week, um, April 5th, 6th, 7th, and 8th. In the evenings at 7.30, the 7th and 8th, we're having a matinee on both days at 2.30. And so people can get those details on the KU Theater. Right, website. at the KU Theater website. Look for us on Facebook, Instagram, all of the social media stuff. So is this something that people need to hurry and get tickets? Yesterday. Yeah. Yes. Okay. okay. Yeah. And so this is perfect arrangement. And for people who haven't attended a performance, tell people a little bit about sort of the logistics, because sometimes for those who aren't familiar with going to KU anything, it's mm -hmm. like, how am I going to find this? Yeah, it's it's in our theater department. It's Murphy Hall on the campus of the University of Kansas. And it's in our Inge Theater. And we have there will be a lot of people around there to direct you to where you need to go. and. Um, the box office is in there. You can get your tickets that way as well and come in and chat with the box office people who are it's fantastic. And where do people park? They can park there, they can park right across the street. There's a parking lot right across the street from Murphy Hall. So it's easy, folks. Yo, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because that, that I mean that is there is that thing about being in a university community. If you haven't been part of the university, sometimes it's like, I don't know. Especially during that. a basketball game. <laughs> Which is basically across the street, but it won't yeah. be happening at the same time. Right. I had an evening. I had an evening class, and I was like, eh, I can go a little late. And I drove, and I'm like, Well, look at that. There's a basketball game today. I'm gonna have to park way across town yeah. to and walk over to my class. Yeah. But yeah, I remember when I went back to grad school. It was that that thing that I hadn't realized is that athletics take precedence over everything, even on a university campus. And so like to go up and want to do some some work in a library during even a KU football game, it's like, it's not happening. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's it's such an effort to get up there because there's not any place close. You can't pop in and out. Right. <laughs> That's cool. So when, when you were talking before on air, there was that mention that Topher Payne actually yes, came to, to meet with you all. Tell us a little bit about who he is and what happened with him coming up here. Topher Payne is a playwright from Atlanta and he wrote Perfect Arrangement. And I will tell you that, I'm not just saying, I'm. this may sound biased, but KU Theater has brought it this year with bringing in people and artists from all over to work with uh, our creative team and our undergraduates. And Tober Payne was just one of them. And he came a few weeks ago and he got to spend a few days with us and he got to talk to the cast. And the, they spent, there was an evening where he was, where he came to rehearsal and they just fired questions at him for about three hours. Cool. And so that was great for them because he got to go in depth with uh, talking about their characters. And then I got to pick his brain about dramaturgical stuff and life in Atlanta but um, it was it was just a treat and he got to come and talk to a script analysis class and another class as well and it's just it's been such a treat that the the faculty and the staff are bringing these 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 titans to our to our theater program uh -huh. and to work with these students who just you know we're still talking about Topher Payne and it was two weeks ago so, so so yeah it was it was a treat and how does this relate to you and your academic and professional goals? Well, I think dramaturgy is going to be one of my, hopefully one of my specialties after I graduate or after I graduate. And I want to teach it because I, 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 I haven't taught it yet. And now that's kind of like the goal. I, I want to teach it and uh -huh. um, show people that have no idea 
what's going or any kind of theater experience at all and just say, hey, you can do this too, right? Because like Dr. Felicia Landre uh, years ago was like, hey, you don't know anything about this, but here, just try it anyway and see if you like it. And then I loved it. Uh-huh. So it's giving the experience to you know, the next generation coming up. Uh-huh. And so is this role used like in, in most films as and plays, or is it yeah. really limited in, you know, like, is it, I don't know. It depends. Um, so there are theaters around the country that have a, have a dramaturg on staff. Uh-huh. Some people don't. Uh, there are, um, there are directors who don't like dramaturgs because they feel that they kind of are um, overstepping their bounds. Um, which sometimes I have you, I have uh, experienced once or twice where I walk into a room and a director's like, I don't like dramaturg. Then you just say, okay, well, here's how I can help. So, um, so though, but luckily the director for the show, Jim Dick is, he was very, um, great at, um, asking questions and having actually letting me inside the room and ask him questions and ask the cast questions. So there are great directors out there that, in, that, that love a dramaturg to be in the room just uh-huh. in case anybody has questions uh-huh. about anything, but, but yeah. So does that mean that you are there as like throughout this process of rehearsing and so that you might notice something and be able to, find a way to help that person be more authentic to the role. Yeah, I'm usually, I'm there at the very beginning, like that first week when rehearsals start. And um, Jim gave me enough time to actually do my spiel about what a dramaturg is. Mm-hmm. And because not a lot of the the creative team and the actors know have ever worked with a dramaturg before. Mm-hmm. And I tell them, well, this is how you can utilize me in this way. And, and then, um, then I'm there probably once or twice every week just to come in and just to check check yeah and then i write i write the program note for the program and then um what i'm really excited about is that we're going to have a lobby display of 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 art i can't really give too much away but um that i'm excited about that we're gonna have in the lobby so as the audience is coming through the um the lobby they're going to get the experience before they actually enter Uh the theater so they kind of know what world they're stepping into Uh So, and tell us a little bit more about what the story is of Perfect Arrangement. Perfect Arrangement is set in the 1950s, and the story follows two married couples who happen to work for the State Department, and they are given the task of identifying sexual deviants. And as the play progresses, there is a twist, and the audience finds out that these husbands and wives are gay. And then throughout the uh, progression of the play, their secret slowly starts to unravel. That has to be intense. Yeah. yeah. It's, but it's a comedy, but <laughs> um, it's a comedy, but I was, a lot of people go into it and they're going to, they're going to think that they're going to see a slapstick comedy. There's comedy elements in it, but uh-huh. I think under it, it's, a, I think the best kind of comedy is where you learn something from it. Absolutely. And I was leaving I was leaving the show last night and I was like, they did it. I laughed and I was moved and I was like, okay, I'm, that's awesome. I'm good with this. Yeah. 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 I totally agree with you about comedy that mm-hmm. it is yet another art that can really open people's minds, you yeah. know, let them think about things from a different perspective. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, part of, to me, the importance of arts in this time is mm-hmm. getting people thinking and I, I remember, I remember being at a workshop. I, I worked in nonprofit for a very long time. I was the director of the twenty-four hour counseling center here, mm-hmm. and being at a workshop where the the goal of the workshop was to help uh, people who worked in different kind of organizations be able to communicate the importance of their that agency organization's work to secure resources. And mm-hmm. that was what it was about. The the um, tool was storytelling. That was what was being taught, mm-hmm. you know, with that that reminder. And the way I, I, I don't know if it's right, but the way I interpreted sort of the overall message was that because our brains process stories differently than data, mm-hmm. that you can actually help people learn new things, things that contradict what they believe 
through story. And, and I expand that to, you know, whether it's a painting or a dance or any kind of art communication that, that you can get people to consider something that if you just said, well, you need to understand this is how it is detrimental to our whole world to treat people differently based on their gender or sexual orientation, race, mm -hmm. you know, all the different things, you know, the, like, yeah, whatever. But maybe they see a story um, through, the, through that play and they are able to change. I think that's the goal yeah. too. And I think that's, I, I, I know for a fact, it's gonna open some people up uh -huh. in a good way, in that's a very awesome. good way. Yeah. So this is, this is a huge thing. And, and I think there's another play coming up later that also is gonna have themes related to celebrating people's- Spring Awakening. Uh -huh. Yeah, that's, that's gonna be our last show of the season. Uh -huh. and yeah. So University Theater, that cohort that you were in that chose this season, we, good job. <laughs> I, it's a pretty good season. Like this season, I I think it's just kind of set the bar. Uh -huh. I think it set the bar. So I'm excited. I'm not on the committee this this year, but uh -huh. I'm excited. That's going to be revealed um, later. But I think I, I'm like, you better, better be better than this season because this season is it it's just been outstanding. Uh, that's yeah. cool. That's very cool. And where do you see yourself going with, I mean, I know you mentioned teaching, but will, will part of that be also continuing to find those opportunities and working as a dramaturg? Yeah, I think um, that's, I mean, that's the goal, because I also teach acting and performance or uh, public speaking uh -huh. at KU as well. So I think teaching is the, the end goal uh -huh. for me, and whether it's here in Lawrence or someplace else, I just know that I have... I've wanted to be a teacher since I was about six years old. And I always tell my students, I was six and I knew that this is what it was going to be for me. Uh -huh. And I hope that you find that passion in whatever, but you need to find it. But it's because I remember my dad like uh, bringing in uh, some old Ricky chairs that he found and uh, he put them in my bedroom and then he found like an old chalkboard and work. <laughs> And he kind of put it in there and it was like, I was giving him and my, my mom homework. And it was just like, they kind of, they're like, he wants to be a teacher. Let's build him a classroom in his bedroom. So it's, it's those, it's those moments where I'm like, yeah, it's, it was set in stone uh -huh. at six years old. And I, I want to be 89 years old, you know, with, with a little cane and still doing it. Uh -huh. I, there's no, there's no end point for this. So how did teaching become teaching related to theater? Um, it ha I, once again, I was thrown right into it, as a, a, right along with dramaturgy. And um, my mentor was like, you're going to be teaching this course. And I'm like, I've never taught before. But how, how did you end up studying anything related to theater when you went to MKC? Okay, that happened. I was, I mean, I was 13 years old when I was, did my first show, and it just kind of, escalated to there from like high school and then after I graduated from high school it was like well what do you do now and I'm like well I'll just get a business degree because that's pretty generic so um, the school that I went to after high school I went to that first meeting with all the business students and I'm sitting there and the lady who's talking about the program she's like you're going to be taking all this math all these accounting courses and I raised my hand and I was like I do not belong here at all Good for you for and so I got up and I I walked out and I'm like I had a full ride scholarship <laughs> um, to this business department what am I going to do and I saw this I saw one of the theater teachers and I went to go I was like well I did theater in high school so I went to go talk to him he's like I'll give you a scholarship I did not tell my parents <laughs> Because it's like, how do you go and tell your parents, I had this full ride in this business program, and now I'm going to be an actor. Um, so it took about two years. It was about three months before I graduated when I told them, I said, hey, that didn't work out for me, but I'm doing all this great stuff over here. And by that time, they were like, well, he did it on his own. <laughs> He got a scholarship. He was paying for it. So it was like, whew, okay. So that, that must have been hard, though, for all that time to pretend yeah, that you were doing Yeah, I mean, uh, once again, it's a perfect It's perfect for the show that I'm working <laughs> on. I kept that for a, a secret for a very long time. <laughs> 
yeah, so I've been doing that ever since. I acted for a very long time, and then uh, once I got into academia, I was, I, I, I it was just it reawakened this passion in me to teach. Uh-huh. So, um, then once I got the opportunity to do that, I was like, this is, this is the best thing in the world. And it, you, you're, you're getting new minds every semester, yeah. and it's, it's challenging every semester, and it's different. Yeah. every day and you yeah. can plan as much as you want but you know somebody will a student will bring you something and you're like wow i did, was not planning that for today so let's just go that way uh-huh. um so yeah it's been it's just it's a pleasure yeah every day and my guess i, I i'm friends with uh, michelle hefner hayes who's mm-hmm. with the school of dance of course which guesses that's all coming together yeah. yeah and i know that at least in you know, from my experience of Michelle, that a lot of students feel pretty connected to faculty, which mm-hmm. also means they share more personal struggles, mm-hmm. you know, look for support from their faculty. Mm-hmm. How, how is that for you? It, I think that was one of the most important uh, factors when I was deciding on uh, PhD programs. And I came here for a visit, and then my my husband now, he was our, we weren't married then, but he was already living here. So that was just a bonus. Mm-hmm. But meeting with the faculty and, and the one-on-one with the students and um, the connection they have, either working on projects together, working on papers together, or to publish, that appealed so much to me. Mm-hmm. And I, I lucked out. I really did luck out getting into this program. So. And the cheesy question, how do you and your husband meet? <laughs> oh, this is, I, oh, gosh, he'll kill me for it. Well, um, I mean, it is 2018. Um, we, 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 oh, this is a great story. Do we have time? Do we have a little time? We do. Okay. Okay. Maybe, unfortunately, for your husband, um, but yes, good. we do. Um, we, we met online, and I, we were going to meet up here. So I, drew, I was living in Kansas City at the time, and I moved up here. And I was very, I, I was not a dateable person. I had just a very bad attitude. And I was just, I didn't want to be in a relationship. And I don't even know why. I was like, I was like let's just try it. Let's just, just meet this guy. <laughs> so we met. And I was just very standoffish at first. And it's it was the, 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 the first date. So you're wearing a mask. And you're trying to put your, the best version of yourself out there. And we were sitting there, and we were not talking at all. And you can tell that this was not going to go <laughs> anywhere. And all of a sudden, I'm looking, and his nose starts bleeding. And he didn't notice. And I was like, your nose is bleeding. And he's like, oh. And then he like left, and he went to the bathroom. And I'm sitting there, and I'm waiting. And I'm waiting. And I'm waiting. And it's about 20 minutes later. And I'm like, he either died in that bathroom or he went out the window. <laughs> so then he came back out finally and we sat down and he was like, that's so embarrassing. But that kind of helped take the masks off because you can't hide after <laughs> his nose was bleeding profusely. Like you can't go back from that. So we just immediately, that kind of just changed. And I don't know, something, something clicked. And I kind of saw the person that he actually his niece, all the person I was. And uh-huh. um, yeah, so we've been together ever since. And he's just, I don't know, it's great to have someone that has your back yes. every single day. And he, he's also in theater as well. And he's a oh. director. And, and we're working on a project later this summer together. Because we finally have time. Uh-huh. Um, it's really hard to find time, him teaching and directing all the time. And then me and this PhD program, which you know, I don't have a lot of time myself. But we have to make time, and to make time, we're going to be making art together. So we're looking forward to that this summer. So has he worked with a dramaturg before? <laughs> oh, Marsha. <laughs> what are you getting there, into here? There, there is some, because the majority of our conversations revolve around theater. Uh-huh. Um, and Or he'll come and he'll ask me a question about a play or what he's doing, and I, or if I go and see one of his shows and I'm like, you, you, you should have had a dramaturg, <laughs> or or I'll just give him some some ideas about something. And he's like, okay, you just you 
keep the dramaturgy over there. And so we, so we're looking. We don't know how this uh, this yeah. uh, project is going to look with because it's just me and him. It's a one it's a one person show, so yeah. it's just him directing me. So I don't. We'll see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> I hope it works, but uh, we're looking forward to that. But do you know yeah. where you will be? presenting this one here. We're going, his uh, theater company is in Topeka, so we'll uh -huh. probably do a few shows there. And we're looking at, at some spaces here in Lawrence uh -huh. to do, so it's probably gonna be September, October. Uh -huh. um, but it's it's a good show, good show. Cool. Yeah, we're looking forward What's to it. What's that space do you need? Just, it's just, it's a one person show, so it can be anything that houses 20 to 60 people, like it's, it's, um, think about Percolator Lawrence. They did come back to the Five and Dime being in there. Other kinds of things have happened there. When did they do that show? I love that show. A few years ago. I love that yeah. show. It's a great movie, yeah. too. Yeah. yeah. So that's, that's, a, it's a cool space. It's really mm -hmm. intimate. I did a, with a couple friends, um, Jim McCurry, who's a poet in Lawrence, who's been writing since mm -hmm. the 60s. And, you know, like, just in getting to know him, and you know, he'll tell stories, and he's not a boastful person. But it's like, wait, wait, well, you just said Kurt Cobain. <laughs> wait, 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 stop there, Jim. <laughs> you know, um, Kurt, Jim and, and Sarah Robinson, who at that point was doing a variety show at the Percolator once a month. The three of us organized a William S. Burroughs performance night on Burroughs' birthday. We did it at Percolator Lawrence, and one of the pieces that was performed, Mark Hennessy, who is teaching at KU and, and is a poet and is now teaching high school in Kansas City. Anyway, uh, Mark organized with some friends a reenactment of this Burroughs piece that you can actually see on YouTube called Junkies Christmas. And so they did, they did actually, then this involved, say, mm, I think four actors, four people who were mm -hmm. playing roles. And, and even in that, the space of Percolator, it looks pretty small, but it looks perfect. Mm -hmm. Everything, it was just like, it's a really intimate space. Mm -hmm. So it's good for being packed. And mm -hmm. it's good if there are 20 people, you know, I mean, it's, it's a cool space. And it's a community art space, mm -hmm. you know, they, they love to have different. I, think we, about it. We will think look into it. it. Yeah, because yeah, we're looking at touring it. So yeah, yeah we'll see. Cool. <laughs> that's gonna be that's gonna be an interesting exercise in your relationship. It's, right? we're, we <laughs> we communicate pretty well, but but we've never actually worked together. And I think we're both different yeah. when we are working on a project because yeah. he sees how, and especially with perfect arrangement, I think he saw how invested I was into it and it was like are you coming to bed I'm like no I'm looking at old movies from the 1950s are you crazy no um, or I'm looking at cars from the 50s and he's like okay you know so I think yeah it's gonna, I think it'll, it's gonna be good all right if you happen to need any car photos for uh, the lobby I know somebody who restores vintage cars mm -hmm. who's here in Lawrence and I bet Gary could come up with some great photos for you. Oh you my gosh! Okay, we'll yes. on that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know I'm gonna still be working on this show after it's over. So, <laughs> so cool. Yeah. Oh, what a great thing! Well, it's interesting that you're doing this one-person play with your husband producing, and and you're not gonna be able to not have your dramaturg influence as well as acting. Well, th that was, that was, a, that was a, <laughs> that's something that we agreed on. He said, okay, there's going to have to be separation between the actor and the dramaturg, um, <laughs> which I'm like, okay, we can try, but I, I doubt that's going to work. <laughs> they kind of go hand in hand really for me. So, yeah. And so that may be good because you may be able to do that internally without him being as aware other than all right already stop looking at stuff online <laughs> yeah or, why are, are you are you still at the library that's usually the question <laughs> are you still in your office at school yes <laughs> that's very cool welcome to my life yeah
So ideally, you all would stay in this area. Is that I love I love Florence. Uh -huh. I love it. Um, yeah, that's. I mean, if I if I had my choice, I would want to stay here in Florence because it's just it's just one of the best places in the world. I try to leave Kansas. <laughs> I try very hard. When I was 18, I moved away, came back, moved away for school, came back. And then I was like, nope, I'm moving to Chicago and that's it. Moved to Chicago three years later, I came back. <laughs> so I'm like, I think I'm just gonna stay put because I think uh, the world just wants me here. Uh -huh. So I, that's, that's the plan. Do the universities around here hire KU grads? Like KU, Haskell, Baker, I mean, do you have opportunities around here? I think there are, you just you just apply if there's like a, there's a job opening, you, you can. KU uh, hires its own sometimes? Sometimes, yeah, sometimes. Maybe, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a dream actually, because I love, I love working with them this faculty here and it's like I've, I'm almost done it's yeah. like I feel like I haven't started yet yeah. and there's still stuff to be done and yeah. to work on but um yeah the faculty is is great and the staff is even exemplary uh-huh that's exciting do you do you have the concept for where your dissertation what your dissertation will probably be I do. Well, right now, because it changes every week, but uh -huh. right now, <laughs> I think it's it's creating, it's going to be creating my my own, like, one-man show, uh -huh. but using elements of dramaturgy and um, my, my body as, um, looking at my body dramaturgically on stage and what it looks like on stage, um, along with my Mexican roots. Um, coming through and just working at intersections of being Mexican, being queer and religion at uh -huh. the same time, uh -huh. kind of merging together. Uh -huh. So my husband just said, as long as I can direct it, it's fine. <laughs> so it's like, great. So that's where it's, that's where it's going. Then using um, styles from like Mexican cabaret and uh, kind of doing comedy and politics together on stage and just myself. Yeah. And so, uh, in my interest about the, how the program and dissertation works, is in your program, is this performance accompanied by some writing? Mm -hmm. And both of those are, your dissertation includes both? You know what I mean? That's, because I, I, they're going to start, I think they're going to start looking at creative dissertations. At least I think a few of them are interested in that. Mm -hmm. So, but that's a conversation that I have to have with my advisor and my mentor. And so it's not a standard to, at this point. No, okay, I, mean. um, I don't, I'm trying to think of if anybody has done that, but I think there's, there's, there's going to be a written portion of it. Mm -hmm. But um, since, um, since I'm a performer as well, I think there needs to be that aspect with it. So it's applying the, the theory and the practice together. Mm -hmm. So exciting what's your hope for when you'll be for a deadline but you know like i'll be doctor at this point mm -hmm. 2019 2020 okay. um i'm i'm constantly working at it every day <laughs> so i just i don't want to get to that point where i'm like I have to present my dissertation in three months and I don't have anything. So I don't want it to get to that point. Right. So every day I'm cobbling together research articles, uh -huh. performance clips that I see that I'm um, inspired by images that I see. So it's always, I'm always in it all uh -huh. the, in my car, there's pictures, um, you know, on my, on my, um, on my Spotify playlist, it's music that inspires my work. So it's always, I'm always in it all the time. Uh -huh. So, so it's getting it to that point that you can say this is enough for the dissertation. Mm -hmm. That will be a challenge. Just yeah, what I hear with a lot of art. But okay, how do I decide that it's a finished product? Yeah, and I was I was looking at some creative dissertations, and there's uh, gosh, I forgot what his name was, but he did a he did a graphic novel for his dissertation, and I I was like that's pretty cool. And looking at that, there was a few others that had creative dissertations that I was just like, 
never thought about that before, uh -huh. adding those kind of elements into this dissertation. But mm -hmm. so I'm I'm inspired every day. Uh -huh. It's always seeking those things out. Yeah. And you mentioned, I mean, obviously this is all very personal, but but you brought up your Mexican heritage. And so mm -hmm. how do you see that for you in this time? You know, when I saw your name, mm -hmm. um, I thought that's there's probably some mm -hmm. kind of whatever Spanish culture, mm -hmm. Hispanic. Um, how has that been for you? Like what, how were you raised with things that you were conscious were part of Mexican heritage? Yeah, I think there was always, because my family, they're, they're very, they're very dark complected. And here I came and I didn't look like them. Um, because anybody on the street could, I could pass for white. And uh, so family photographs are great because there's all of us together and then there's me and my head just kind of pokes out. And mm -hmm. it's, so it's, um, so I've always lived with that, but I've always lived also knowing that um, because I, I look, I look white, there are some privileges that I'm going to get that not my brother, my sisters are not going to get. There was a, there was a time when my, I think I was about four or five, me and my father were, were driving and he got pulled over and the cop came to the, the window and he asked, is this your son? Is this your father? Because we, we just did not look alike. Mm -hmm. but there was that also that moment that my father had of my son looks white. And am I always gonna look like I may have kidnapped this kid or taken this kid from somewhere. Um, so it, it's that's something that I've always had to live with uh -huh. my whole life that I'm kind of straddling this hyphen between being Mexican and also being American, that my my family doesn't really have to mm -hmm. deal with uh, the majority of the time because I'm, I'm too white to be Mexican and then too Mexican to be white mm -hmm. in certain circles. But I think I mean, I'm 37 now, and I've—I mean, I've lived with it my whole life, and I've just learned how to navigate mm -hmm. my way through. I see with with friends of mine the challenge of being recognized and taken seriously for who they really are when it's, you know, the even even the idea, and and I can go, you know, with whether it's related to race and ethnicity or gender you know mm -hmm. that that with my trans friends it's like so is it is it a, i think i think early on it was sort of this assumption that you're this or that mm -hmm. you're mexican or you're white you're black mm -hmm. or you're white you're you're man or you're woman you know and now we know and lots of people appreciate some don't that there are lots of different aspects mm -hmm. to who we are, and those all affect us in ways. Even if somebody perceives you as a European white guy, mm -hmm. you know they they don't know you, and they also don't know what it's been like for you living your life, mm -hmm. and and the the dilemmas of looking different than other people in your family. And and I always think about that that we, we just we don't know anything. By looking at them, we just don't, yeah. yeah, you know. And a lot of it's not our business. It's only when we're close to people that it's our business. But, but that reminder, and I guess I'm saying this out loud to, to our listeners that you know we we need to respect people, and when they gift us with information about who they are, mm -hmm. we sh we need to thank people. We need to be appreciative of knowing mm -hmm. that. And believe it as opposed to assuming anything about it, you know. And, mm -hmm. and you know, when I think about in the world of gender, I think about some people value being able to pass, mm -hmm. and for and for some people that's important to them, and for other people, it's like no, I, I that's not who I am. Mm -hmm. I'm not a person. For example, somebody might. I'm not a person who was born and identified as a boy from the get-go. Mm -hmm. My life, my friend Matthew, who's a, a trans man and very open about it, Matthew Blankers, love Matthew. He's now in California, not around here. But, you know, he'll tell people about high school experiences of playing basketball and people look at him 
because he's about five foot four. It is like, how yeah. did you play basketball in high school? <laughs> oh, I was a girl then. I was like, oh, okay, that explains it. <laughs> It's 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 a pretty uh, it's pretty revealing if I'm around of people that don't know uh, that I'm Mexican to finally reveal that and they're like what really interesting okay uh -huh. but like growing up my parents never taught us Spanish but they knew Spanish uh -huh. so um, that was kind of like their secret language to keep stuff from us yeah. but they were also um, they were speakers for their parents who uh -huh. spoke Spanish. Um, and then they were urged to quickly learn English yes. when they were when they were growing up. Yeah. And so if they were speaking Spanish, they would get scolded in school. They would maybe get beat up. So they just they never taught us. So I now I wish I would have urged them more yeah. to to teach us. Yeah. And I, I had a recent conversation with this amazing delightful woman who's 86 years old and still a performing poet and writing poet and teaching poet and she's she's in uh, massachusetts but um she she's from the dominican republic mm -hmm. you know and and so it was so interesting talking to her about these different influences and, and the culture thing because she was raised around her her parents made the choice we speak spanish at home you know, that's what we do. You speak yeah. English out in, in New York City where we live now, but, uh -huh. but we speak Spanish at home. And my mom grew up um, the daughter of Russian immigrants who, mm -hmm. who were terrified of having any Russian influence. And so they never spoke Russian with their kids because mm -hmm. in part they didn't want them to have the accent that they had, you know, those kinds of things. And so that, that how, how our culture of origin cultures of origin get incorporated it's, it's complicated huh? yeah yeah well thank you for sharing that part too because it's a, an extra a, extra gift for people to think about and i think about the wonderful people who i know who, who are working hard to educate people on this is who i am and because of this i'm going to give you somebody like me this this white person a glimpse of what that means to me Mm -hmm. and, and that is a gift, you know, mm -hmm. and, it's, and sometimes people have to scream really loudly to say, yeah. it doesn't matter whether you think I am this or that, who I really am is this. So let's swing back before mm -hmm. we end to yeah. this play. That's the reason that we had this opportunity. Mm -hmm. Remind people again a little bit about this perfect arrangement that's coming to Lawrence. Perfect arrangement is a play that is going to be going on later this month, March 30th at 7.30. That's our opening night. And it's going to continue with the following week, April 5th, 6th, 7th, and 8th. The 7th and 8th, there will also be a matinee show at 2.30. And it's just a play, it's set in the 1950s and it follows two married couples working for the State Department, <laughs> <laughs> which is back in the 50s was great. Um, <laughs> So, and then the audience slowly starts to figure out that these, these, this couple are, uh, the husbands and wives are both gay, and, uh -huh. but they, since they worked for the State Department during that time, they're given the task by then Senator Joseph McCarthy to identify um, sexual deviance in the department. And so this particular play is really timely. I mean, again, thinking about the issues that we face in our country and in our world today. I mean, it's, it's something that we need to think about. How are, how are people looked at? How are people treated? Why should there be any difference in how somebody's treated based on their gender or sexual orientation? Uh, you know, that's like, this, this doesn't, doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense, but it's a huge issue right now. I think that's one of the most important things too, is um, reading this play. I think when I was taught dramaturgy it was like always read the play but also read the new york times and the new yorker side by side with it because usually you'll find elements in the in the play that are going on right now so oh so read the the current what's new going york on now. yeah yeah, oh, yeah. so and then you can find little pieces like okay well this matches with that yeah what's going on then is now going on now yeah so so yeah so that's Very how I, I did that with this show and and Part of how the messages come through 
in Perfect Arrangement is that there's comedy, right? Mm -hmm. It's it's not come to be lectured. It's no. have a great time, no. immerse yourself in this world that's different than now, but has similarities to now. Right. And then hopefully think about what you do with that experience when you walk out the door. Mm -hmm. You know, how do you look at your neighbor who you realize is not the same sexual orientation as you are? And are there any things that you have been doing that you think could be different mm -hmm. than I did? You know, that's yeah. the best thing is when we actually let our information <laughs> impact in a positive way right. the way we are now in the world. Yeah, but be prepared to laugh. It, I last uh, watching this show, the run through last night. I was just like, people are going to die laughing. <laughs> the show. I don't think they're. I don't think the actors are ready for how funny this is. That's cool. But also, just you're laughing one minute and you're just moved. Yeah. Next, and by the end of the show, it's you've experienced it. Right. And I think that's that's the goal of this production. Okay. So, listeners, I'm telling you, go to the website KU Theater. That's theater spelled with an R E at the end. dot com, and look for Perfect Arrangement. Get your tickets. Plan on being there. I know I'm totally intrigued and inspired, and thinking that this needs to go on my calendar. Thank you so much, David Reese Fisher. Thank you for sharing your personal stories as well as about the play. Mm -hmm. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much, Marsha. Thanks. So long to our listeners. <laughs>